he is being accused of not really being a real apostle, not like the other apostles. And there's two reasons for that. Well, maybe more, but there are two that he keeps bringing up. One of those is that when Paul is with the Corinthians or in the presence of God's people, he's not very eloquent. He doesn't speak well. Uh, that's a problem for a preacher. He, he, uh, he's, his words are not uh, uh, really great rhetoric. And, and he says, uh, I didn't want my words to be that. But he also acknowledges that he's not that way. Now, he's very articulate when he writes. There are people like that who can write really well but can't speak well. And other people who speak well, they can't write a, a, a tweet, you know. That kind of problem. So that's just that's just what it was. But that in a environment where people are expecting a certain kind of performance, Paul wasn't doing that. Secondly, it seemed like everywhere Paul went, there was trouble. He would he was always going through difficulty. There were always problems. He'd get shipwrecked. He'd get beaten. He'd get thrown in jail. One of those things you you begin to say you become Job's friends and you begin to say not sure you're really living in the blessing of God. Look at all the junk that's happening. You you must not be living right. Um, whenever I talk about a, a problem, Doctor Lewis is always saying, "Well, it's because it's sin in your life." You know, we we joke about that that constantly. Uh, uh, the idea then was people were saying this is not happening to the other apostles. Uh, most of them who were staying in Jerusalem. Uh, but it is happening to Paul. So he is going to defend himself. And he is particularly concerned about some people that the Corinthians are beginning to listen to that he thinks they shouldn't listen to. So I want you to look at Second um, Corinthians chapter 11 where we ended off uh, last time. Uh, chapter uh we're doing 11 now. Chapter 10, right. Uh, yeah, chapter 10, I'm sorry, uh, where we ended up. In verse 17 18, he says, uh, But he who boasts is to boast in the Lord, uh, because it is not he who commends himself that is approved, but he whom the Lord commends. Now, that is a tie-in to Jeremiah chapter 9. And I read that last time, but I want to read it again. Uh, because it's been two weeks, and many times we don't remember uh, what was said. I was once told by a pastor when I was first getting into ministry, he said, uh, you could preach the same sermon uh, several weeks in a row if you change the jokes, people won't notice, because they remember the jokes, but they don't remember the sermon. I'm not sure how true that is, though I think it's partially true. So in uh, Jeremiah chapter 9, uh, beginning at verse 23. And Jeremiah is a prophet who is living in a time when many of the people who were claiming to be prophets uh, were false prophets. And so that's why Paul's using this text. So in verse 923 he says, Thus says the Lord, Let not a wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not a mighty man boast in his might. Let not a rich man boast in his riches. Notice he's not saying, let a man who thinks he's wise. He's actually talking about the wise man should not boast in it. The man who is strong and powerful is not to boast into it. The one who is rich is not to boast into it. 
He's not talking about people who are putting up a facade. He's talking about people who legitimately have this. You would think, well, they can boast to that. He says, but let him boast, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For I delight in these things, saith the Lord. In other words, the Lord does not delight in riches. He doesn't delight in worldly wisdom. He doesn't delight in human strength, though He created all these things. He delights in loving kindness, justice, and righteousness being done on the earth. So, with that in context, we pick up in chapter 11 uh, of 2 Corinthians. So Paul says, I wish that you would bear with me in a little foolishness, but indeed you are bearing with me. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a holy virgin. Paul begins this statement. He's going to talk about this several times in these chapters 10, 11, and uh, 12, where he talks about, I'm talking like a fool now. Paul's going to contrast those who talk about their accomplishments as fools and those who talk about what the Lord has done as wise. But because those who talk about what they are doing is impressing the Corinthians, Paul's going to have to talk foolish for a while to get their attention to make the comparison and then bring them to the point of where they are. So he says, I'm going to uh, bear with me as I talk foolishly. Clearly you are bearing with me in that. And then he says this interesting statement. I, as a, uh, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. There are two kinds of jealousy. There's a jealousy that is envy. I want what you have. That's covetousness. That's not good. And then there's jealousy of that which is mine is being misappropriately used by another. That's a godly jealousy. God says, I am a jealous God. Don't give my worship to idols. Okay? He has a right to do that. So there is a jealousy that's not bad. It's a godly jealousy. And that's when that which you uh, have uh, that is yours is being used inappropriately by someone else. So he says, I betrothed you to one husband so that to Christ I might present you as a pure, the Greek word there is hagia, a holy, a holy virgin. Now Paul's using an imagery that they, they understand well. In the Jewish world, there are two stages to marriage. The first stage is betrothal, and the second stage is the taking or the receiving of the bride. The way this operates is a couple decides they're going to be husband and wife. They go through a ceremony. The ceremony is called a betrothal. Uh, the contract is made. The vows are made. And they are now husband and wife. And as husband and wife, we would think they're now going to live together, but they don't. As husband and wife, he goes to prepare the place where they're going to live. And as wife, she goes back to her father's house and prepares herself for marriage. When he is done, that betrothal period usually takes about a year. 
they are treated as husband and wife. If one of them dies, the other is widowed. And if they break that relationship up, they have to get a divorce. This is what Mary and Joseph were. They were betrothed, even though they weren't living together. And when Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant, he thought she violated her vows, and he was going to divorce her privately. So the idea is that this first stage of marriage does not have cohabitation. That's what Paul's talking about. I have betrothed you, almost like a father. As believers, I have betrothed you, church, as the bride to Christ. You are, you are betrothed to Him, and you are now, in a sense, in my house, and I am getting you ready for when your husband will return, and the marriage supper of the Lamb will take place, and we will enter into the kingdom. So when Jesus returns, He's going to receive a kingdom, and He will sit on the throne of His father David, and He will receive a bride, which is the church. Now we are betrothed, but He's preparing... For us, and we should be preparing for him. That's the imagery that Paul is talking about. So, he says, you should be preparing yourself for holiness unto him. Now, in verse 3, he says, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion, because you're, you're now betrothed to him, to Christ. He says, for if one comes and preaches another Jesus, whom, you, whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, you will bear with this beautifully. Notice he uses the word bear again. You put up with it. You go along with it. Go along with my foolishness while I talk foolishness to you, because you're good at going along with foolishness. And I'm worried about that. That makes me nervous. It makes me think that in the same way that Satan deceived Eve, you will be deceived by workers and ministers of Satan who are going to alter the message of Jesus, alter the idea of the Spirit, and alter what the good news is. In other words, someone's going to come in and do as an act of Satan Something to take your minds away from the Jesus we preached, the spirit that you received, and the gospel that you accepted. That's what he's talking about. Now, we have to revisit Genesis. I'm not going to go to the text. You guys know the text. God had said to Adam, You shall eat of all the trees of the garden, but of the tree in the midst of the garden of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat it. The day that you eat it, you will die. Now, if you read the scriptures carefully there, Eve was not created yet. Which means, God said that to Adam. Then immediately after God said that, Eve is created. So now Satan comes along. And Satan comes as a serpent. Remember the Jews are coming out of Egypt. The serpent is a wise creature. If this had been done in English in the original, it would have been an owl. He would have come as an owl, that wise creature. And he says to Eve, has God said you can eat everything? Oh, we can eat of every tree, but that tree in the middle we can't eat. We can't even touch it lest we die. Now, God didn't say they couldn't touch it. So either when Adam told Eve what God said, he added a little to it, or Eve 
added a little to it. Either way, you need to understand that Eve got it secondhand. Okay. Paul and the apostles got the gospel, the knowledge of Jesus and the spirit firsthand. The Corinthians got it secondhand from them. Now comes someone else. Okay? That's what he's talking about. So Satan comes in and he says, you, Oh, you got it wrong. You won't die. You, you misunderstood that. It will make you wise. You'll be like God knowing good and evil. And the scripture says, Now that Eve's got that information, that not only does the tree look good, but it was, it'll make you wise, she took an ape from it. And later we find out when God confronts her, she says, the serpent deceived me. And that's true. As in Adam we all die, not in Eve. When Adam was given the choice of what God said to him or what Eve is now telling him, he listened to her and not to God. That was intentional. Are you listening to God or are you listening to the people who will tell you what you want to hear? Okay. So that's the context that... Uh, uh, Paul has given us here. So he says, uh, there's another Jesus being preached that we didn't preach. There's another spirit being promoted that you didn't receive. And there's another gospel which is not the one that you accepted. He's worried that they will follow a false way, thinking they're following God. Remember that Satan is not going to try to get you to go away from Jesus or God or the Bible or the Spirit or the church. He's going to try to tell you that the way you do that is this way, not the way the scripture says. And they'll even and he'll even use scripture, right? He used that with Jesus. Well, it's written, he shall send his angels to you, right? And Jesus had to say, yeah, but it's also written. Okay? In other words, Paul is worried that these preachers with their eloquence and their ability and their clever statements and their successful stories and testimonies are going to lead the Corinthians away from the simplicity of the, of the person of the Word that became flesh, the Spirit of God that indwells us to draw us after Christ and the good news of our salvation. And somehow that will get uh, altered. So, in verses 5 to 12... He is going to uh, give us his foolish talk. So he says, I consider myself not in the least inferior to the most eminent apostles. I have a feeling that that was really difficult for Paul to write. Because he is having to speak foolishly. He's having to compare himself with others. And he says those who compare themselves to others are not wise. And so this is distasteful for him. But it's the only way you can get the Corinthians to do it. Because they're so caught up in this worldly thinking. They are not spiritually minded. They are looking on the outside, not on the inside. And he's going to have to go where they are and then bring them back. So he says, but even if I am unskilled in speech, I don't talk good. Yet I am not unskilled in knowledge. In fact, in every way we have established this. We have made this evident to you. You have seen my preaching. You have seen my life consistent with the word of God. You know that to be true. Now he says, I may have made a, a mistake. 
I may have committed a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted. I focused more on your spiritual growth than my spiritual maturity. And I preached the gospel to you without charge. I didn't charge you uh, for the ministry that I was doing. In fact, I robbed other churches by taking wages from them to serve you. Other churches saw what I was doing to help you. And they said, Paul, you can't work all the time and do that too. Let us send you some money. But he was not going to be a burden on the Corinthians. But, you know what human beings are like. Well, if I don't have to pay for it, you can't be worth much. And when I was present with you, and was in need, I was not a burden to anyone. For when the brethren came from Macedonia, they supplied my need, and in everything I kept myself from being a burden to you, and I will continue to do so. So he says, as the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be stopped in the regions of Achaia. And why am I doing this? Because I don't love you? God knows that I love you. Paul's saying, I'm doing this because I love you. I'm working elsewhere that I can serve you in ministry because I love you and I want you not to be burdened by my, uh, my needs and I'm trying to give you everything I have and what you're doing is you're comparing me to these other guys who are getting rich off the gospel thinking that they're more blessed because they got more people and they're doing more things. What I am doing, I will continue to do, he says in verse 12, so that I may cut off opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the matters about which they are boasting. He says, I'm going to keep doing this because this is biblically right and those who know the word are going to understand that. And that will make those who have spiritual discernment to know the difference between a minister of Christ and a minister of Satan. Because they both quote the scriptures. And they both do ministry. And they both talk about following Jesus. And they both talk about the spirit. And they both talk about the gospel. How do you know the difference? He says, such men, verse 13, are false apostles. Deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And that makes sense, he says. No wonder. For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Satan doesn't come as some hideous, evil thing that tries to pull people into the dark side. Okay, This is not Star Wars. It's the truth of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And what Satan does is he comes on and does a pretty good impersonation of God and slightly alters the message. So that the person who's deceived thinks he's following God when he's not. You just have to move a little ways from, from true north. Over time, you're far away. And that's what, that's what these guys are doing. Now, I believe some of these guys don't know they're ministers of Satan. 
because they think they're following God because they're following the ministers in front of them who taught them to do this. Where that, that becomes a problem. And Paul talks about this in other places. We just don't have time to talk about it now. He says, so these guys, uh, Satan himself disguises himself as an angel of light. Verse 15, then he says, therefore, it's not surprising if his servants, the word there is ministers, that's why I've entitled this ministers of Christ, ministers of Satan, uh, also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose ends will be according to their deeds. They have a new way of saying what righteousness is, and it's called blessing. I've got the blessing, see the blessing, that's proof that what I'm saying is what God said. No, God has spoken, test this minister against the word of God. The problem is these ministers keep people ignorant of the word of God. They don't encourage them to read it for themselves, to know it for themselves. What they do is they explain it to them. And when you read it, you begin to say, I don't see that there. That doesn't make sense to me. I must not know, I'll just listen to what he says. So, he says, they disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, but they, like Balaam, will be judged according to their deeds. So, Paul is trying desperately to get the Corinthians to see things different. So, in verses 16 to 20, he says this, Again I say, let no one think me foolish, but if you do... Receive me as foolish, so that I may also boast a little while. What I am saying, I am not saying as the Lord would, but as in foolishness, in this confidence of boasting. Since you boast according to the flesh, I will boast also. For you, being so wise and so tolerant, you tolerate the foolish gladly. So let me talk like a fool. If I have to speak your language, I'll speak your language. So now he's going to give them his resume. Because he doesn't talk about these things. He's going to tell us next week, in the chapter after that, why he doesn't. But he's not promoting himself. He's promoting the Lord. And so what he says is this. Uh, Since you guys are wise and tolerate the foolish... I'll talk foolishly. So he starts in in verse 21. This is his foolish talk. To my shame, I must say that we, that is me and my co-workers, have been weak by comparison. I guess if you really look at everything they've been talking about and telling you and you can see why, I can see why you're impressed with them. And why you're not impressed with us. Because we haven't told you any of this stuff about us. So if you're going to judge us by this comparison, we look pretty bad. So let me talk, let me compare apples to apples if we're going to talk apples. But in whatever respect anyone else is bold, I'm speaking in foolishness now. I am just as bold myself. So, here he goes. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? 
So am I. Now, what these people are doing first, they're coming in and saying, well, we've come from Jerusalem. We're the true Jews. You know, Paul's a diaspora Jew. We're the real Jews. We're the Jerusalem Jews. And we really are at the heart of what this message is about. Okay? And, you know, Paul, he's, he's really from Tarsus. You know, he's Tarsus. And he, he you know, he's okay, but... He hasn't lived in the Holy Land where we live. Okay? So he says, are they servants of Christ? Now I'm going to go insane. I more. Right? This is foolish talk. I'm a greater minister than they are. That's... I can't stand it. He says, you've already got me talking foolish, now I'm talking crazy. Now, now he's going to switch. He's going to trigger it. Because what are they talking about? You want to know what miracles I've done? You want to know what churches I've established? You want to know what great things I've done for the kingdom? You want to know why I'm important to God? Paul's going to turn that on its ear. He's going to start talking about stuff. He's already started the resume, so he's got their attention. Well, he is, he is a Jew. He is, he is right. He is a, he's more of a Christ. So he's going to tell us his stuff, and now he's going to turn it on its end. So look at the next verse. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so. Far more in labors. Far more in imprisonments. Beaten times without number. Often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews. Thirty-nine lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I was in the ocean. Frequent journeys in danger from rivers. Dangers from robbers. Dangers from my countrymen. Dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. That's his resume. Now, what is he talking about? He's talking about what Jesus said to his disciples when he sent them out. He said, preach the gospel, heal the sick, raise the dead. Freely you have been given, freely give. So he's not charging them. And then he says, by the way, they're going to take you and put you before kings and councils and persecute you and you're going to have trouble and you're going to suffer for my name's sake. Don't worry about it. I'll give you words to speak. Jesus never said the ministry would be good. In fact, he said, woe to you when all men speak well of you. That's the world's way. The world's way is push your resume. God's way is suffer for the Lord by doing what's right. Prepare God's people for the kingdom. Betroth them to Christ. Teach them to be holy. Teach them to be righteous. Teach them to teach their children and their grandchildren and do that. Don't get into, well, we got a great jazz band. We got more people than you do. Oh, this person is internationally known. Paul's going to have none of that. His resume is going to be, my body is marked with the sufferings of Christ. 
And he's going to tell us why. Next time I'll give you a hint. Because when he asked God to take this away, God said, no, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. So Paul says, I'm going to boast in my weakness, not in my strengths, not in my successes. That's what he's talking about here. Now he adds to that. He says, I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights. I've hungered and I've thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Now that's the abundant life. Remember, we have that, right? Hebrews chapter 11. I won't go to it, you guys know it. Abraham by faith did this, but the truth is, if you look at Abraham's life, the ultimate thing is, he didn't get what he was promised. He, he died in faith waiting for it, right? Noah did great things. Others did great things. And then the writer says, others did not receive the healing. Others did not receive the resurrection. They lived in caves. They were beaten. They were sawn in two. Men of whom the world was not worthy. Those are the ones who will have a better resurrection. Suffering in this life. Glory in the next. Glory in this life, you have your reward. That's pretty clear scripture. It's not clear in the ministry these days that that's what it is about. So he says, and apart from these, verse 28. There's the daily pressure on me concerning all the churches. I love this about Paul. Uh, It's these passages that give me insight into what I'm striving for in ministry. He says, apart from these external things, there are the daily pressures on me and the concern of all the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? You know what Paul's saying? He's saying, when the church is suffering, I'm suffering. Okay? Paul's talking about grieving with those who grieve, mourning with those who mourn, suffering with those who suffer, rejoicing with those who rejoice. It is virtually, we had a living experience of that this morning when Bill talked about his connection with Randy in the grief. That's the kingdom of God. That's ministry to one another. That's what community is about. That's what we're supposed to be doing. We're not about nickels and noses and buildings and reputations. But we have a business model of the church. And not a synagogue model of the church. And we're paying the price for it. And far more, our children are paying the price for it. Our grandchildren are paying the price for it. And when this culture turns on us, and it's doing so, they're the ones that will suffer. Because they won't be prepared. Because they will have been fat and sassy sitting in the uh, rejoicing seats. And they won't be prepared for these things. So Paul says, uh, I have the community of faith to be concerned about. So then he says, if I have to boast, then I will boast of what pertains to my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is blessed forever, knows that I'm not lying. 
I'm going to leave the next verses because they actually go into the, the, the final uh, part of this, which is the next chapter. But Paul's going to tell us why he, he started thinking, what's wrong? Why is all this stuff happening to me? And so he says to God, take it away, take it away, take it away. And God says, no, my strength is made perfect in weakness. And Paul says, therefore, I will glory in my weakness, not in my strength. Now, this is important because Paul is going to teach this to the younger ministers like Timothy who are following him. So I want you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Be very careful of the success model of ministry. Okay, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning of verse 8, Paul is writing to Timothy. These are called the pastoral letters. He's writing to these young ministers, Timothy and Titus, to tell them how to serve God. And he says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel. There is, an, there is no other Jesus. The God that we serve is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not some cosmic uh, neutral God in the sky. And Jesus is the King of the Jews. He's the Messiah of Israel. He's the Son of David. And that gospel is to the Jew first and then to us. Keep these things central. For which I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal. But the Word of God is not imprisoned. So for this reason I endure all things. For the sake of those who are chosen, so that they may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus, and with it eternal glory. I'm enduring this, he says, not for my sake. I'm enduring this so that I can bring you to the place you need to be for the kingdom. And so then he says, it's a trustworthy statement. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure we will also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He will deny us. If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. So, let me uh, do one last visual thing here and I'll close. So, if Jesus is walking this way, and I'm walking behind Him, but someone else is between me and him because someone else is between all of us. We're walking after those who walk after him. And those people start walking here and we get to the point that we're unfaithful and we get to the point where we're denying him. Jesus isn't changing direction. He cannot deny himself. The plan of God, the purpose of God, what God is doing is going to continue. We may run into snags, but... He's not going to adjust His plan to meet us there. He did that at the cross. Now it's from the cross to heaven itself and the kingdom. So, Paul says, For this reason I'm enduring these things, not for my sake, but for the sake of those I'm ministering to. Because the blessing is in the next life, not this one. So, if we judge ministers by their claims of blessings uh, but 
uh, instead of their faithfulness to endure hardship according to the word, even to the point of abuse for the sake of preparing the body of Christ to be a holy and spotless bride at his coming, then they are at best deceived by workers of Satan. At worst, they are the workers of Satan themselves. Satan works on our gullibleness and our ignorance of the word. So we must be wise readers, doers, studiers of the word so that when the false and the slightly altered is given to us, we will not be deceived. Paul's going to clarify this in greater detail in the next chapter. And we'll wait till next week for that. Let's pray. Father, help us.